There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I have Chris Bruzo with me, who is the CMO of Electronic Arts. Chris, hi and welcome to the show. Thanks, Nadine. Glad to be here. I am so happy you could join me today and I'm so happy to be in your building. What a cool building. I, I you know, walk in, I'm greeted by all these action heroes and we're going to take some pictures in the lobby before I go, okay? Okay, good. Because I, I just have to show this off. It's pretty cool. But tell me about Electronic Arts. People know it as EA, but right. you tell me about it. So EA is a video game company, one of the largest AAA game makers in the world, and we make both what we call high-definition games. Those are games for consoles and PCs and also mobile games. We make Battlefield. We have studios like BioWare that make role-playing games. And then in our mobile portfolio, we have one of the best mobile games of all time, uh, Star Wars game of all time, Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. We have just a, a really wide array of different experiences for a very broad global consumer base. And um, my role as CMO, I'm the first centralized, the first true CMO at EA since really it started in 1982. And so it's a pretty big deal to, as the company was thinking about its next phase, to decide that we needed to bring those functions together and we needed a single leader to really develop marketing as an expert function here. And so I left Starbucks after seven a little over seven years working at Starbucks, and jumped in at EA, which was really exciting, about, about four years ago. Wow. Okay. So from coffee to video games. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, tell me, what what about this opportunity stole you away from Starbucks? Well, you know, it's interesting. I went from 10 years in healthcare marketing to Amazon, which was a really surprising move. And then from Amazon to Starbucks, which was also another really surprising move, not a linear path by any means, mm-hmm. not an obvious uh, jump from one industry to another. And then from Starbucks, a coffee company, to EA, a video game company. And I would say that's one of the hallmarks of what's happened to me in my career is I've found opportunities that are unorthodox, that really kind of happened more organically and follow my own passion and interests. And that's what's really 
led me to what I think, you know, at EA is really the culmination of most of my experiences. Amazon experience was a, was a very measurement oriented technology experience. And the Starbucks experience, which was very relational and people oriented. And now at EA, it's really like a combination of the two. Because this is a consumer company, our games are emotional stories, they, they, they generate a lot of engagement, but it's software. We deliver these highly complex, you know, works of art that are also actually a quite complicated technology, you know, software that we're making here. So it's, for me, a blend of what I've been doing throughout my career. What got me to jump in at EA, though, was a company that had new leadership five years ago, and a new lease on life, a desire to really recapture its relationship with the player and had really made some pretty bold commitments to be player first and to operate as a single team across this global company. And I had really enjoyed being on a small team at Starbucks that worked to transform and turn that company around during 2007, 2008, 2009. I had the opportunity to work really closely with Howard Schultz in that year before he came back as CEO. And then in those two first two years when he arrived as CEO to literally make some of those big moves that Starbucks had to make to turn the company around, really helping it get back to the roots of what matters to the people that they serve. And EA, four years ago, was right at the same place, really ready to think comprehensively about what would it mean for us to truly build trust with players over time? So that was just such a enticing opportunity for me. I had to do it. Okay. And I think you mentioned something to me earlier, something around signature moves. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that mean? And, and let's, let's explore one of them. You're right. Some yeah. of those things I just talked about were kind of clearly my signature moves. Cause when I think about my career, that's what I, that's what I talk about, but signature moves are things that, can occur within a job too. And so I think the challenge, especially for marketers, is to take like really well-planned, well-executed marketing strategies and marketing campaigns and deliver them consistently with business results that really, that really leverages a moment in culture that really connects emotionally with a group of people. And those tend to be the ones that add up to what I call a signature move. And so I really challenge marketers on my teams to always be in the hunt for a signature move. So at, so a good example at Amazon, we wanted to change the perception of the company as not just a bookseller. So we set out to do that. One of the coolest things we did was a short film competition with the Sundance Film Festival. So Amazon and Sundance partnered and invited people, anyone, to submit short films to Amazon. And nobody's going to really remember this. This is all the way back in like 2004. And um, in that process, to find the next great you know, filmmaker and to expose filmmakers you know, in the world. And so we were able to do that. And we generated a ton of videos that were uploaded to the site. And in that moment, we definitely changed perspectives about what Amazon is. And so I'd consider that one of my signature moves. Now, what's interesting about that one is it's also one of my biggest misses mm. because 
if you remember 2004, 2005 was around the time that YouTube was just getting started. Mm-hmm. And so here comes Amazon and we're asking people to upload videos to the site and we're getting this extraordinary response. And we got to the end of our program, of our marketing program, and we said, oh, that was really successful. That was great. We, we achieved all of our objectives. And then we paused and said, gosh, it really surprised us. Like, we're, we think maybe we're onto something here. People uploading videos and sharing them with each other. But in the Amazon context at that time, it was, but how will we turn that into the sales of books or music or DVDs? And it was unclear. It was unclear how you, how you would take uploaded videos and turn them into revenue. And so we walked away from it. Mm. But really, if you think about like the platform that was Amazon.com at the time, and you think about Amazon today and its role in media and in content today, there was really a big opportunity there. And the people at YouTube clearly saw that and ran with it. And we were right on the cusp, but we could tell we were onto something, but we couldn't quite land what to do with it. And so we walked away. Mm. Oh, that's such a fascinating story. My God. And there's so much I want to ask you about that because I just released David Rubin's podcast from the New York Times. Part of his journey and his story through Unilever and Pinterest before he got to the New York Times was actually like looking completely outside your category for inspiration, you know, to the degree where, you know, they were launching Axe deodorant and they're looking at the Blair Witch Project for inspiration. You know, I have two things I never thought would go together other than the word Axe, but, you know, I guess she didn't have an Axe and Blair Witch Project. I don't know. It's been a long time, but, you know, you think (laughs) horror movies, you think, you know, but um, where's the connection? You don't see it. it. So like, that's a great lesson. And, you know, with your role and especially with that story, you're down in sort of a fantasy position, right? Mm -hmm. Because whatever you and your designers and the folks on your team can dream up, you can find a reason for being to create all these different universes for people. So how do you, you know, not get bombarded with inspiration? You have inspiration coming from everywhere. So how do you actually think about what you want to build and and how you want to deliver that in the market? Well, it's really interesting to be at a company that creates content different than actually either Starbucks or Amazon. This is a company that creates content so the, my team, the marketing teams, are very close to the product. In fact, we, we've combined the publishing and sales function with marketing here. So we're very close. Like We have direct responsibility for the revenue at this company. We have direct responsibility for making sure that the products are a success and that we're building on our past success. So yes, we're right in the middle of it. And yet, when the product is a story itself, that puts the marketer in an interesting position. Normally, the marketer is the storyteller for the product. But at EA, the product is itself a story and an experience. And it's an, to increase the complexity even more, it's an experience that launches on a particular day and then becomes something totally different. And the way it becomes something totally different is the engagement of thousands and millions of players who actually impact what the story is in the game. And so that's a really fascinating challenge for marketers. And it's, for us, one of the most important things that we have to do is how can we be a resource to the game makers and helping them to identify trends in consumer bases, to identify what's working for players and and what isn't, which is a big reason why when I came to EA, it was very important that the analytics function report into the CMO. So in a lot of technology company analytics companies, analytics is 
its own expert function, and it very much is here at EA as well. But it was really important that we have the talented people who are in there looking at player data day over day, week over week, and that they have some separation from the product teams to be able to say, here's what we're seeing, and here's where the opportunities are. And that's proved to be really powerful for us. So, you know, you asked, how do we know where to where to create and not to create? Step one is the game makers have the real responsibility for determining what kind of a world are we creating, what kind of story are we telling. But the marketers do have a very close in responsibility to provide insights and feedback and to help navigate toward not only how we're going to market the game, but what will be powerful, what will resonate um, for why people are going to play the game. Okay. So there's two directions we could go here. Like there's probably like five, right? (laughs) Um, But you mentioned this whole concept around social gaming that's going to change everything. But equal to that is this notion of what do people want today and all the research that you're doing and understanding what the player of today looks like. And and maybe those two things are the same, but take a minute, any which order that you'd like, because I'd like to hear more about both. Great. I mean, it is an amazing challenge. So it's that how do you manage that tension between what's the player, in our case, player data or consumer data, what's that data telling you about uh, what's working and what isn't? Uh, we did some like seminal work here on motivations for mm-hmm. play. And we, we segmented the global audience of players into, into groups based on why they play. And so there's a large population that plays for social connection. There's another large population that plays for competitive achievement and about seven more different mm-hmm. uh, motivations for play. And so we get to serve that up, you know, on a regular basis. But the tension for marketers, you know, across the board is how do we not let sort of the rear view mirror of, hey, this is what player behavior is telling us or consumer behavior is telling us. How do we not make that the only lens? And so how do we also look forward? So we start to look at, at trends. And a very important group for us is always the youth. Young people under the age of 22 are critically important. They have historically been the core of the game-playing population. Now, increasingly, the game-playing population looks like all of us. So game-playing has really exploded, especially with mobile devices. But still, this young population is critical because they are like the mavens who indicate what, where the relevancy is in play and what the next most interesting experiences are going to be. And so we spend a lot of time studying them. And we've learned a lot of very important things about social play by studying the Gen Z, the Gen Z population. Social gaming has actually been around. Really, it came to be with the advent of Internet access and online play. And so there was a long history of games you could play offline and you could play individually. But once um, Internet access became prevalent and um, high Internet speeds, suddenly you could have multiplayer type experiences where you have people connected to each other and playing real time with each other. And that is what really changed the nature of gaming. So I can't help but think about a couple things. You know, it's funny, we were just talking before we started recording, you know, with um, John Dillon's podcast, you know, the CMO of Denny's, you know, he was talking about 
the diner being the first social network. And then right. you were like, oh, at Starbucks, we think that too. Or, right. you know? We did. We would say that. We would say that the coffee house was really the first social network. So John and I can duke that one out. You can duke that yeah. one out. And then I think about, you know, and I, I correlated what he was talking about to what, you know, Meg Goldsweiss was saying, who's the CMO at NPR. And she said, technology is really enabling us to actually go back in time. And bring back those days where we gathered around as families in this communal sense where we're able to, you know, now just sit by the fire and listen to a podcast through a smart speaker and put the devices down, um, you know, and, and it, but anything around the social network is bringing people together to play. So I think of the old board games, yeah. right, where you would play with your family. Yeah. Um, but now you're doing this at massive scale right. where you can play with anybody in the world this connected generation that is coming up um, expects constant connection. And mm-hmm. and you're right. It's incredibly social. I think on the positive side, it's everything you just said. It's bringing down boundaries. So there's no geographic boundaries or time boundaries. We can connect with each other in all kinds of different ways today that, we, that would have been hard to do, certainly 50 years ago, but even 20 years ago. So that's really positive. There's also some challenges. The amount of screen time, the amount of digital connection that's not personal connection is also a challenge. And in our trends work, we see that. We see as we push these trends forward and we think about the three-year-olds of today when they're 13 and when they when those 13-year-olds become 23, what are some of the implications and, and impacts of that? And that definitely guides us to how do we create more authentic experiences for people where they can be themselves. In gaming, of course, at EA, uh, one of our biggest games, FIFA, there's this incredible shared passion around soccer, football, and people love to come together around that. So we have to be very careful around ensuring that that community space can be as positive as possible, allow for a great range of expression, but be positive um, so that people are having, you know, really productive, constructive fun experiences. And and so that's an important part. And we understand that from our trends work with Gen Z, we know that that's, you know, critically important and that we need to provide a range of ways for people to express themselves. Some people want to express themselves by clipping gameplay. Other people want to express themselves by actually streaming their, streaming their gameplay while talking about it and engaging. And that's a huge phenomenon in gaming now, our streamers. In fact, the whole advent of Twitch, which is a, a, a massive gaming platform, is effectively a way for people who want to live stream their gameplay and share their personality with the world. That's an amazing new dimension of gameplay as well and social game gaming as well. So this next generation is definitely leading us um, in this way, but we're just going to also have to come up against some of the boundaries of what leads to great experiences. There's an interesting thing that's happening just now in the last, really just in the last month or so, where live events, concerts, are experimenting with phone-free experiences. Mm. So Jack White just did this. Um, I happened to see Ellen DeGeneres uh, last week in San Francisco. And there's a company named Yonder that when you come into the venue, they take your phone and they put it in a bag. And the phone stays with you, but you can't access it. It's in this little bag. And if you need to need to take a call or to use your phone, you can step outside to a, an area where they can open up the bag and you can use your phone again. It's keeping people in the moment around these experiences. And it's happening first in live concert venues. But it's an interesting trend that we're following. 
because there's actually a desire to put some parameters around how technology may actually be getting in the way of what we really want, you know, which is to have a, a connected experience, to be a part of something with a large group of people, like at a concert. Those are really interesting things for us to understand and as marketers to bring into the company and help make important choices about features and products and, and, and even the way we market our games. Wow. Okay, so this could be a whole another podcast in and of itself because it's 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 almost feeling like you're torn in what is your obligation. And a lot of this comes back to obviously ethics and how you feel as a marketer. But you had talked a little bit earlier about your role uh, as the CMO in the culture of this company yeah. and, and how you see your responsibility. Can you share that? Sure. I think this is increasingly going to be important for marketers. So as I said, I came to EA because I knew the company was ready to transform itself and re-examine how it was relating to its customer base, to its players. And so in that first year that I was here, we did things like re-examine the mission statement of the company, like reevaluate the company's values, like look at the metrics we were using to measure success. And in that process, we the process is actually quite important. Mm -hmm. And the marketers don't need to lead it, per se. However, if it's not happening in your company and it needs to happen, the, marketer, the marketers are sometimes the first to know. Mm -hmm. Because the brand inside a company, when it matches the brand outside the company, when the brand inside gets projected outside and it's positive and it's consistent and it stands for something that's differentiated, well, as marketers, we know that's always what we're looking for. And when you lack that, you know you're in trouble. You've got to drive that. So marketers are often the first to, to identify that. But in this case, EA knew that, that was an important part of its transformation. So we got to participate in that. And of course, we, keep, we kept our financial metrics. We're a public company. We measure ourselves on our fiscal responsibility for our shareholders for sure. But we also implemented some engagement metrics at the very highest level of the company. So we rewrote the mission statement. We recreated the values in a process with the leadership and with the company as a whole. And then we established some metrics, and those metrics got integrated into our incentives from a compensation standpoint and, and, a, and a performance evaluation standpoint. And we were able to pivot the company toward focusing on what does it mean to help players engage more. And it really fundamentally shifted a part of the conversation here from how many units can we sell to how much ongoing engagement can we create for players with our games and with each other. So that was a cultural set of, that's a work, that, that's culture work that we did there. And it, and it was all done, you know, together. And it had to be in an environment at EA that was welcoming and receptive to that. And, and so we had that. And it is clear to me that that is that makes us more effective in the marketplace and in marketing when we talk about having a consistent point of view or a consistent voice for a product or a brand the same can be even more powerfully true for a set of employees when the employee base has a consistent understanding of what makes us special and what we're going for and what fits and what doesn't fit for the kind of company that we are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's culture is a topic that we talk about a lot in the, and to 
so many people have asked, you know, what is the role of the CMO? And, and often you're hearing the CMO role be coined as a chief culture officer now, mm-hmm. too. But you, you clearly have to work very closely with your counterparts. So you, it, it was great that you talked about the fact that everyone's involved. But as you think about how you engage your counterparts in this process, how did you work with your HR team, for sure. instance? This was very much a partnership at EA, the, the cultural work that we did and are still doing. I will say that it was part of my evaluation in making the decision to come to EA. I spent time interviewing most of the executive staff here because I wanted to understand, was everybody on the same page? Mm. Was there a common commitment to this transformation and this, this work around rebuilding, regaining trust? And was there an appreciation that it was going to be hard and that we were going to, have to make tough choices and, and that it might be expensive even um, and those kinds of things? And so in my evaluation at EA, the answer was yes. I mean, it was just consistency from one executive to the next, from one leader to another, that the company was ready for this. So I'd say it starts there when, as a marketer or as a CMO, uh, do you have a receptive environment mm-hmm. for this kind of this kind of work or this ongoing strategy around internal culture equaling your external brand. And then it truly is a, it is a partnership. This was as much led by HR, marketing, we call that people experience here at EA and marketing together. And it was really made possible because Andrew Wilson, our CEO, declared that it was important to him and to the company for us to do this work. That's another important ingredient in Mm -hmm. success when your CEO is on board and it becomes part of the platform for the company, um, then you, you can make a lot more progress. And if your CEO is not on board or key members of your executive team are not on board, then your likelihood of success is much, much lower. That is great perspective and great advice. And um, Chris, we are, unfortunately, we are running short on time here. So I have one more question for you, Mm -hmm. but I have to give before the question a shout out. Okay. So I got to thank Musa Tariq for introducing me to you um, because, wow, what a fine. Thank you, Musa. (laughs) (laughs) This is an amazing guy. Yeah. Yeah. He thinks the same to you. So uh, (laughs) I loved the work that you guys talked about. What does it mean to be at a moment of change in your career? And and honestly, Musa, Musa, in his own words, talked about signature moves as well. Like, what do I want to do next? And where will I be You know, the most successful? And I love that you guys drew a really big spotlight on that. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, no, and, and I love that term, signature moves. So um, in the hunt for signature moves, I think I heard you say, which is right. great. I love it. Um, so... Last question for you, Chris. If you could do anything in the world other than be a CMO and money were no object. I don't know that I will ever be able to, to do anything without a marketing mindset, at least. You know, I have, I have three kids. Uh, a couple of them are now out of the house. But they'll tell you that growing up, when other kids and families would say, on your market, set, go. My kids would say, on your marketing, get set, go, because <laughs> that's all we talked about. But to be honest with you, um, I uh, I do think thinking about life beyond 
an operating role, um, life beyond the work that you're doing for, you know, large, medium, or small companies or for yourself um, is, is important and actually can contribute to making you better at what you're currently doing. So for me, that would be working with families, working with families who have uh, kids who are going through really difficult uh, mental health or behavioral health issues. And that's just my own personal passion that comes from my family, from my wife, Teresa, and our shared experience. And yet I know that as I do that work, and we do a number of things, we lead, uh, we lead um, seminars and we do uh, support groups and, uh, and other things um, for the community of parents in the, in the Bay Area who are struggling, particularly with teens who are having tough issues. But when I do that, I know I'm also bringing a bunch of what I've learned as a marketer and what it means to help explain the value of what we're doing, to recruit people, mostly to help them give themselves permission to come and participate. So if I weren't a CMO, that's, that's what I do. I would, I would work for a nonprofit organization to help, help families heal. And I know that I, I know that when I do that work, I'm benefited by my, my career. Oh, wow. Okay. That is a very impressive and very meaningful work. So thank Great. you so much, Chris, for taking the time to join me today. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks a lot. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.